Father, we just thank you for tonight. We thank you that you are here and that you are with every single person that is listening to the podcast. Father, we thank you that your presence is tangible in our midst. And we just take a moment just to focus on you. We just breathe in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Oh, we just take some deep breaths of your love tonight. We thank you that we are fully accepted in the beloved and that that's where we abide. We abide in the beloved and we are your beloved. So we just receive your love tonight, Lord, and we just tune in to what you're doing. We thank you that you are doing something spectacular in our lives, Lord. You're doing something exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think or imagine. And Father, I thank you that you are doing that according to the power that works in us. You are doing that from the inside out. You are renewing our mind. You are changing us from the inside out. And so, Father, as we dive into your word and dive into the teaching tonight, Father, I pray that you would think through my mind. I thank you that we've been given a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. And that, Father, that's the spirit that we're operating in tonight. That's the spirit that's thinking through my mind tonight, Lord. We just, I just release revelation of you tonight. I just release revelation knowledge, God, that even while I'm speaking, Father, I thank you that the Holy Spirit will be speaking to every listener. I thank you for confirmations. I thank you for answered questions. I thank you for direction. I thank you for upgrading our ways of being, God. And Lord, we just receive what you are doing tonight in all of its fullness and all of its glory. And we just enter into that place of rest, knowing that you are finishing the good work that you began in us. You are bringing it to completion. And that us listening to you tonight is a part of that process. So we tune in with our spiritual ears, Father. We just thank you that we have eyes to see, and we just receive it all tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, I am going to jump back into a teaching, actually, that I started two weeks ago. We had Tim Wright here last week. That was awesome. If you haven't listened to that podcast yet, it just got uploaded, so go check that out. It was a, it was an awesome time of worship, an awesome time of teaching, an awesome time of prophecy. <clears throat> it was just an awesome, it was an awesome trip. It was wonderful to have Tim here. It's amazing when you, um, I had, Tim had been out previously and we, you know, met each other before, but we had an extended time together this time and 
it was pretty awesome. It was an amazing experience just getting to know him. We actually took a trip one day up to Pikes Peak and wow, it was just, I don't know how we drove down. We were so wrecked in the glory of God. It was an amazing time with him. It's like a, it was like instant brotherhood, just getting the chance to to get to know him and hang out with him. So anyway, listen to that podcast if you haven't heard it. But um, I'm going to be jumping off tonight, uh, continuing a topic that I started actually back on uh, July 22nd's podcast. So if you want to, if you haven't listened to that one yet, I encourage you to go back and check that out because we're just, I don't know how long we're going to stay on this. I, I really feel like the Lord gave me a title for tonight's message that was called uh, Thinking with God. Uh, oper- and then kind of a subtitle of operating with the mind of Christ. And so God's really been, uh, I know, speaking to me a lot about this. Uh, I re-listened to that podcast the other day, and it's, it was always interesting because so much of the way I teach is kind of a prophetic way of teaching. I mean, I'm always studying. I'm always in the Word. I'm always talking with the Lord, journaling. Uh, but it's interesting. When I go back and listen to the podcast, it's, sound, it's so different listening to it sometimes than when I'm actually teaching it. And uh, I, I was ministered to by it. <laughs> so that's always a good sign. But I started out with the scripture uh, two weeks ago, and I'm going to jump off there again. It's, it's from Proverbs chapter 3, uh, verse 5 and 6, and it's a very well-known scripture. Uh, but I, I specifically... Uh, taught out of the Passion Translation of this scripture last week or two weeks ago, uh, just because I just really felt like, uh, first of all, I love the Passion Bible. If you don't have a, the Passion Translation, I really encourage you uh, to either get a copy of that or now it's actually up on Bible Gateway. You can actually search the Passion Translation on the Bible Gateway app or on the on your browser which is awesome, but uh, I really love Brian Simmons. I love the heart uh, that is conveyed in the Passion Translation. I think the name of it is obviously very appropriate because it is about the passion. I just love the way the passion of God comes through. Uh, the passion of God for us comes through in that translation. But here's how it reads uh, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 in the Passion Translation. It says, Trust in the Lord completely and do not rely on your own opinions. With all of your heart, rely on him to guide you, and he will lead you in every decision you make. Become intimate with him in whatever you do, and he will lead you wherever you go. Don't think for a moment that you know it all. Now, really the crux of this series, I really believe, is focused on the Lord continuing to identify in our lives really the way that we operate independent from him and the ways that we still are under this illusion that we are somehow separate from him. And independent thinking or independent action actually comes out of this, this, this illusion that we are separated from the Lord. And, you know, I did a webinar a couple of weeks ago. I don't even know if you can sign up for the replay now. But um, in it, I taught, it was called the five keys to hearing God clearly about your life purpose. And one of the keys to me is always one of the keys, no matter what my webinar topic is, 
<laughs> it's kind of like always a key. And the key that's always the key is that illusion from God is a separation. And I spent time on that webinar, and I'm just going to talk about this in the context of thinking with God tonight, that a lot of times when we hear the gospel, I mean, I grew up in church, I heard the gospel, I mean, I've known the gospel as long as I can even remember. You know, I was in Sunday school every Sunday. Uh, But a lot of times the way we're presented the gospel is that it is primarily a, a message about being saved from hell, and being forgiven for our sins so that we go to heaven someday. Uh, And I am not denying that there are aspects of the message that those are are kind of like the fruit of the message. Yes, uh, we escape hell. Yes, we uh, are forgiven. And yes, we go to heaven someday. But that was not the way the gospel was presented by Jesus. And it wasn't the way the gospel was presented by the Apostle Paul and the epistles. Uh, as a matter of fact, the term eternal life, you know, I, I, I don't know if you are like me, but as a, as a child, I learned the scripture, John 3.16. And, you know, that was, that's, you know, if no one knows any Bible at all, that's probably the one scripture that people can say. And it says this, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life or have everlasting life. And so, you know, growing up, eternal life, I always thought it meant living forever with God. However, it was always kind of taught out of context in the sense that, um, first of all, John, the whole, you know, chapter of John 3 is actually saying a whole lot about what salvation actually is. But even more clearly in John 17, specifically in verse 3, Jesus actually defines what eternal life is. And he says it this way, and I'll just read it to you in the NIV. It says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, the NIV is a one translation. It's a pretty simple uh, translation of that scripture, but it even says there, but eternal life is to know God. Another translation says that eternal life is to know and experience you as the only true God and to know and experience Jesus Christ as the son whom you have sent. And so Jesus, in the context of his last prayer, it was not the Lord's prayer, it was the last prayer before his crucifixion, is defining eternal life within the context of knowing and experiencing God. Now that makes sense because how many of you know Jesus said, I am the life. (laughs) I am the life. That God is in the kind of life as a Zoe, it's in the Greek, it's Zoe, I am the Zoe, I am this kind of life. I am this life, right? And so knowing God is knowing this eternal life, knowing him, and not just knowing him in a sense that, you know, like we know, you know, famous Hollywood actors and actresses that we see in movies, or we know politicians, or we know people that are on television or something. No, this kind of a knowing in the Greek, that Greek word that is translated know is the Greek word gnosko. And it is the most intimate kind of knowing that it, that can exist. As a matter of fact, it's considered a Jewish idiom 
for sexual intercourse back in the in Jesus's day. So this was a very intimate knowing. And the kind of knowing that Jesus is actually talking about, and the only reason I'm spending time here is because I'm, I'm drilling in on this idea that our intimacy with God is, is the most intimate relationship that we will ever, ever experience. And even though it was a Jewish idiom for marriage type of intimacy, the intimacy that we have with God is a union and a oneness where God lives inside of us. Christ in us is the hope of glory. So Jesus is inside of us, living his life inside of us. And then we, throughout the New Testament, it talks about how we now are in Christ. And so Christ is in us and we are in Christ. And so this knowing, this experience that we get to have with God as believers is an inside out knowing. It's a, it's, it's being known completely by God because he lives inside of us. But it's also an invitation to be, to know God from the most intimate of places from the inside of him. And, you know, there's scriptures, you know, Psalm uh, 139 talks about how God knows our thoughts before we even think them, that he knows our words before we even even speak them. The, uh, David is talking about, he knows my uprising. and my Where can I go to escape God? You know, why? I mean, and that was even David before, before there was such a, a place of being in Christ. But, uh, and if I was really going to preach the gospel, really, I mean, in Philippians 3.10, this is what the Apostle Paul says in the Amplified Bible. He says, my determined purpose is that I might know him. And then it amplifies it and says that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. So the Apostle Paul had made it his purpose to know God. What he had made it his purpose to experience eternal life. And he said it was progressive. He was wanting to, it says here, become more deeply, intimately acquainted, perceiving, recognizing, and understanding. We can just say this, understanding God. Right? Now, I'm sharing this because it's so important that we kind of get a foundation of the gospel being about, number one, knowing God, but a particular kind of knowing God. It's a union kind of knowing God. It's a being one with God. And so much of our Christian experience, my own included, uh, is, is, is feeling separated from God or feeling like we, we've got to climb up somewhere and into the throne room of God. We've got to worship to get up in this this level with God. Like God is way somewhere far away. And here we are, you know, just down here on planet earth, just trying to be good. Trying not to, trying to, to, to please God somehow. And the truth is that is, that is a separated illusion that entered the earth as a result of the fall. And let me just read a couple more scriptures here. Uh, let's talk about this union kind of uh, relationship here. And um, let me go, first of all, to 1 Corinthians 
This is in the New Living Translation. It says, but the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. The person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Okay, now in John 14, 20, this is when Jesus was talking to his disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit. It was right before uh, he was going to be arrested and right before his passion. And he was telling them, here's what he says in John 14, 20. He says, on that day, you will realize that I am in my father and you are in me and I am in you. Now, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. And on that day, on what day? After the resurrection, after the new creation had come, after Jesus had, had made an open display of the enemy and completely disarming the principalities, after Jesus' Jesus's victory and his ascension. In Ephesians, it actually says that we, we ascended with him and we are seated in heavenly places with him right now. Talk about an illusion. Talk about the illusion that we're just somehow these physical beings and physical bodies. I mean, this, there is a reality here. It's an invisible reality. But the gospel, this is the gospel. This is, God came for us to be one with him. God came, Jesus came so that we could know God from the inside out. This is such an incredible thing that Jesus has accomplished for us. Of course, there's Colossians 1.27. It says, to them God has, has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What mystery? Which is, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I like to think of it as the potential of glory. Christ in you, Jesus in you is the potential of heaven's glory. Galatians 2.20, another very popular scripture. The apostle Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and no, I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this identification as being one with God actually in the gospel message goes all the way back to the cross. I mean, this mystery is that we were actually, what the old man, the old us was actually crucified with Christ. And no longer exists. I mean, there's scripture after scripture after scripture about putting on Christ, put off the old man. And see, because the old man, this old independent self, was what was crucified with Christ. And that independent old self is only operating through the faculty of our brain, through our mind. Because number one, we haven't either been taught this, or number two, we haven't been established in the truth of it. And so in our day-to-day lives, for a lot of us, we feel distant from God. We feel separate from God. We, we feel like our relationship with God it ebbs and flows and goes up and down. And it's somehow based upon our performance and, and how much we're, we're following the commandments versus how much we're messing up. And so we're in and we're out. We're in good graces and bad graces. You know, God loves us. God's chastising us. And it's, it's, a, it's a very schizophrenic way to live in our relationship with God. And the truth, the truth that the gospel presents is that Jesus Christ was the propitiation, it says in 1 John, for our sins. And that, that even in Ephesians 1, it says that we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless in his sight. Why? Because we're in Christ. 
I'll tell you, the New Testament doesn't even really make sense if you try to read it apart from being in Christ. Romans 8.1 says, There is now therefore no condemnation for them that are in Christ. One of the translations says that there's no guilty verdict for them that are in Christ. It means that we have been declared not guilty in Christ. And the truth was we were declared not guilty before we were born. And the truth is we were declared not guilty before the foundation of the world. I mean, God had this redemptive plan and saw us in Christ before time began. Why? Because God sees the end from the beginning. I mean, in Revelation chapter 13, it says the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. Before God said, let there be light. The the cross, Jesus had, the mind of God had, had, the, the cross had already been accomplished. And so, now, I'm sharing all of this today because if we are going to think with God, if we are going to operate in the mind of Christ, and even in Proverbs when it talks about trusting in the Lord completely and leaning not, you know, in one translation, on your own understanding. I like the way it talks about in the, the Passion Translation, don't rely on your own opinions, Really, the admonition here is to think with God, to actually not lean on our own independent thinking, but to actually, it says, just with all your heart, rely on him to guide you. In the other translation, it says, in all of your ways, acknowledge him. Acknowledge him. What does that mean? It means be aware of him. I mean, the awareness is the issue here. It's because because we do we feel separated, so therefore we kind of go with how we feel rather than recognizing that our feelings follow what we believe. And so we don't want to be led by our feelings. We want to be led by the truth. We want to be led by the, the reality. It's an invisible reality, but we want to be led by the, the invisible reality that we are one with God. In Romans 8, it also talks about how nothing can separate us from the, from the love of God. Uh, it's a beautiful uh, rendition of it in the Passion Translation once again. I'll just go to Romans 8 really quick and read it. It says here, it says, so good. Let me just start in verse 17 because it's so good. It says, and since we are his true children... We qualify to share all of his treasures, for indeed we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. Now, what is that saying? It's saying that we accept the cross is our punishment. We accept the cross as our suffering for our sins. And when we do that, well, guess what? We experience a co-glorification. If we are crucified, then we're glorified. It's this incredible um, identity shift where Jesus became sin in, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. And so he took our sin, we got his righteousness. But, it, but here, here's the deal. We are one. We have his righteousness because we're one. Now, let me keep reading this. It says this. Um, so what does all this mean? 
in verse 31. If God has determined to stand with us, tell me, who then could ever stand against us? For God has provided his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as the sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. Who then would dare to accuse those whom God has chosen in love to be his? God himself is the judge who has issued the final verdict, not guilty. Who then is left to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one, for he gave his life for us. And even more than that, he conquered death and is now risen, exalted, and enthroned at his right hand. So how could he possibly condemn us since he is continually praying for our triumph? In verse 35, who could ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one. For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love towards us. Troubles, pressures, problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions, deprivations, dangers, and death threats? No, for they are all impotent to hinder omnipotent love, even though it is written. All day long we face death threats for your sake. We are considered to be nothing more than sheep to be slaughtered. Even in the midst of these things, we triumph over them. For God has made us to be more than conquerors and has demonstrated love and our glorious victory over everything. So now with the confidence, so now I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, or dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. There is no power above us or beneath us, no power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. So I, sometimes it's, you know, when we read these scriptures, Again, we're reading them through this context that somehow God is loving us from a distance rather than loving us from inside of us and loving us while we are in Christ. Now, remember, the scripture that I talked about tonight, the reason I, I mean, that's a really big foundation that I laid. (laughs) That was just foundation at this point. Because really what I want to talk about is this idea that thinking apart from God is a fallen concept. Leaning on our own understanding, trusting in our own opinions, forming our own judgments apart from God is a product of the fall. You know, in the garden, in the beginning, there were two trees. One was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, And one was the tree of life. And if we go back to Genesis, you know, we'll see that Adam was placed in the garden to tend it. And he was told if you, you know, that he could eat freely of any of the trees in the garden. But if he ate of of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that he would surely die. And what it really meant, this, this, I mean, obviously it meant he would physically die, which he eventually did. But there was a death, if you will, which is not necessarily a death in the sense of a physical death, as it is an, as much as a uh, 
more of a falling asleep, if you will, to really the reality of the spirit realm and a dependence upon God to actually judge right and wrong. So in this tree that he put in the garden there, let's talk a little bit about this, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Really what happened when Adam ate of that tree is he set himself up to be God of his own existence. Meaning that instead of, instead of relying on God's understanding and God's judgment, he would now be the, the judge of what was right and what was wrong and what was good and what was evil and what was true and what was not. And since that time, really the carnal mind, the, the unrenewed mind of the human race, both collectively and individually, has been operating in this place of judgment. And it really is the, I would just say, the root, if you will, of pride. It is this illusion of separation where you and I become the judge, where you and I determine what is right and wrong. We, we make decisions uh, and choices apart from the understanding of God, apart from the wisdom of God. Now, I want to go to another scripture. I, this is, I mean, I know I probably quote this scripture all the time, uh, but it really messes with me. <laughs> and it's in John 5.30. And here's what it says. I'm going to read it to you in the voice translation. And I can, I'll read it in a couple of different translations. But this is Jesus. This is how Jesus operated. Now, we know Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. And he was the firstborn among the brethren. That means that Jesus was operating in the original way sons of God are to operate, right? And here's what it says in John 5.30. This is Jesus talking. He says, I have never acted and will not in the future act on my own. I listen to the directions of the one who sent me and act on these divine instructions. For this reason, my judgment is always fair and never self-serving. I'm committed to pursuing God's agenda and not my own. Powerful, powerful scripture here that talks about the way Jesus was living. In another uh, place, it says, you know, he would tell people, the Father and I are one. He told Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. A little earlier in this same chapter, he said, of my own self, I can do nothing, but, as I, but, but only what I see the Father doing. And so Jesus was operating in this place of oneness with God, and he was not leaning on his own understanding. He was not trusting in his opinions. He was not partaking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and making judgments apart from the Father. Let me read it in a different translation. Let me just read it in, I don't know, let me read it in the New King James just to see how that reads. In verse 30 of John 5, it's hit in the New King James Version, it says, I can of myself do nothing. 
as I hear, I judge and my judgment is righteous because I don't seek my own will, but the will of the father who sent me. So again, this is talking about the way that Jesus judged the way he made decisions, the way he made choices. You know, a lot of times when we hear the word judge, we think of it like, you know, judgment, like I'm, you know, I'm judging you in this negative way. But we are making judgments every day, all day. Uh, We're making judgments about other people. We're making judgments about ourselves. We're making judgments about our circumstances, uh, the situations that we're facing. And, you know, we, we just do it. It's like breathing. We just do this every day, all day. And, and, and I feel like when the Lord tells us in, in Proverbs to acknowledge him in all of our ways, you know, this is really, it, it's, it's learning what it means to abide. This is about practicing our union with God. This is about learning and, and living from a place where we are literally integrated into God. You know, where it's not just a theory that we're one with God, but we're actually walking out our daily lives this way and that we are learning to actually think with God. And what it means is that we have to lay judgment down. It means that we have to become like little children, which is what Jesus said in the first place, and we have to look to the Father. We have to look to the Holy Spirit for understanding. You know, I remember years and years ago... um, I would go to these meetings. It would be like staff meetings. And this is when I was on staff somewhere. It wasn't when I was leading. And I remember we would go into these meetings and we would have an agenda, but it felt like, I don't know how to explain it. There was always drama in the meetings. You know, it just seemed like, I don't know. They just wanted the meetings you would come out and you would just be like, what in the heck just happened in that meeting? And I remember going home and asking the Lord, like, what was that? And he just began to show me how people's, people's agendas, people's, people's judgments. I mean, a lot of times people aren't even aware of it. They're not even aware of the agenda. They're not even aware of the way that they are judging things. And what happens is, is it, it gets in the way of God's agenda. You know, it gets in the way of of God accomplishing what he wants to accomplish in our lives and the lives of others. And so let me just keep going here um, about this idea of thinking with God. All right, I want to go to Colossians chapter 3 now. And I want to go, um, I feel like I go here fairly regularly, but I want to go here in the Passion Translation today. Uh, This is really a powerful passage in so many ways, but whoops, let me pull it up in the Passion here really quick. I have it in my notes, but I'm here, so I'll search. Um, Listen to this in verse 1. It says this in the Passion Translation. Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. This is why we are to yearn for all that is above That's where Christ sits enthroned at the place of all power, honor, and authority. Oh, wait, I meant to go with this in the message translation. I apologize. That's powerful, though. I just like reading that part that Christ's resurrection is our resurrection. Talk about about union. Talk about being one to such a degree that when he rose from the dead, we rose from the dead. Okay, let me go here in the message. It says this. 
So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorb with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. And then it says this, see things from his perspective. See things from his perspective. So what does this look like practically, Shalise? I mean, this is all fine and good. You know, we're, we're, we're walking, supposed to walk with one as though we're one with God. We are called to abide in the vine. But how does this work in the day-to-day? Like, I have to get up and go to work tomorrow. I have to uh, be with my kids tomorrow. I have to go to the grocery store. I mean, I have to live my life practically. So this is all wonderful, but how does this actually work? Well, it works with, by this way. It means, first of all, that you have to, first of all, become aware that you actually are judging. <laughs> and, and, and just begin to become aware of just the conclusions that we are drawing on a day-to-day basis. And be willing to just open your mind up to the idea that God's thinking something right now about whatever situation you're facing, about whatever problem you have, about whatever task you're doing. God is always he's, he's always available to us, and, and his thoughts are available to us. Uh, two weeks ago, I, I read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where it says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. But the Holy Spirit has revealed those things to us. And it kind of goes through this whole idea of like, who knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man? And it says the same thing is with God, that the spirit knows the thoughts of God. He searches the deep things of God. And it talked about discerning. He says that the spiritual man discerns all things. I mean, I could go back there and read it, but my point is, is that we have access to the mind of God. We have access to the thoughts of God. Uh, In Philippians chapter 2, let me just go there. And we'll start in, uh, let's start in, I mean, here's what it says in verse 5. It just says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So in this scripture, it's telling us that we are to, we are to have Jesus' mindsets, Right? In another place, it talks about how we have the actual mind of Christ. And I'm just going to that one really quick. Hold on one second. I want to go to the specific translation. That's also in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let me just go to that whole chapter because I I really do want to go back there. 
and read some of this. Okay, it says this, verse uh, 14. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. It says the person with the spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For it says, who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And so we have access to the thoughts of God through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our access to God's thoughts. And so it is possible for us not to rely on our own understanding. It is possible for us not to trust in our own opinions. It is possible for us to lay down judgment and think with God. And so I said, first of all, we've got to become aware that we're actually doing it. And then secondly, we've got to plug in to the Holy Spirit. We have to be able to hear the voice of God. We have to be able to hear what the Holy Spirit is speaking. And the way that I personally have developed this in my own life is through journaling. And over the years, I have learned how to access the mind of God by basically just choosing to set my mind aside. (laughs) And so it's just as simple as saying, Father, I could tell you what I'm thinking, but you already know (laughs) because you know what I think before I think it. But what I'd like to really know is what you're thinking. What are you thinking about about this situation, about this problem, about this person? You know, I I commonly counsel uh, spouses of unbelievers, meaning that, you know, either a husband is married to a wife who is not a believer or a wife that is married to a husband who's not a believer. I commonly counsel, counsel them to say, ask the Lord to show you your spouse from his perspective. How does he see them? How did he create them? What was his original intent for them? And get an agreement with that. Right? But it's not just for our spouses. It's for every situation. So it's a simple question. What are you thinking? You know, I remember the Holy Spirit one time. He's a jokester sometimes. I remember I was praying. I was in this praying um, time of prayer. And I was journaling and praying. And I remember kind of seeing this vision. And it was just a, an imagination. It wasn't an open vision or anything. But I was kind of walking up this kind of rocky mountain. And I look over and I see the Holy Spirit. And he kind of looked like, because the Holy Spirit obviously is spirit, he kind of looked like, I don't know, he was made of water or made of those fumes that you see at the gas station. You know, when you're filling up the gas and you kind of see through it, but you can see it, it's almost like, it reminds me of the of spirit, some, it's just fumes. He kind of looked like, like an outline of a man like that. And he was sitting on a rock, like doing this pose like that statue. I don't even know where it is in the world, but it's called the thinking man, the thinking man statue. And he was sitting just like the thinking man. And I look over at him, and and I'm thinking, and I'm like, what is, you know, what are you doing? And he says, he goes, ask me what I'm thinking, because he was the thinking man. And I, it really stuck out to me, 
that I, I really, it was an invitation. And I, I believe that I still am, we all are still always in that invitation. And I feel like the, the Rocky Mountain part of the journey um, symbolized just, you know, the, the, the life, life can be hard. Life can be difficult. You know, this was not an easy journey that I was going up. I mean, it was a small little path. I was having to climb rocks. I mean, it was a, it was a perilous path that I was on. And sometimes, you know, life, life is, even Jesus said, you know, in, in this world we'll have tribulation. And so there's going to come trials. There's going to come tribulations. I mean, we weren't promised a perfect life. We were promised that we were overcomers. We were prom- promised that he always causes us to triumph. We were, we were, we are called, we are, we are, he promised that we are victorious, that as Jesus is, so are we in this world, that we are the body of Christ. And as Jesus triumphed, I mean, guess what? His life wasn't easy either. He had religious folk coming after him, he, trying to kill him, trying to stone him, always trying to catch him in a, in a trap and catch him in a, you know, some kind of trick him. He was always trying to trick them, right? I mean, and so he had all kinds of issues and challenges, but you know, he was always one step ahead, wasn't he? Yeah. Why? Because he was operating with the Father. He was listening to the Father. There's another um, incredible invitation from Jesus. And again, if you follow my teaching, it's you'll have heard this scripture before, but I, I just feel like God continues to, to unpack this in, in new and exciting ways. And um, matter of fact, this, this scripture was in at the very beginning of my book. It's the foundation scripture for my book, and it's in Matthew eleven twenty seven. And it says here, Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly. He says, the Father has given me all these things to do and say. This is unique father and son operation, coming out of father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does. He says, but I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen with anyone willing to listen. And then if you just keep reading in verse 28, he says this, he says, oh, I went through the whole next chapter, hold on. He says this. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Now, I want to talk about this easy yoke. And, you know, in other scriptures, it talks about his yoke is easy, his burden is light. See, the reason the yoke is easy, the reason the burden is light, is because we are called to, to rest in Christ. When it says, I'll show you how to take a real rest, well, guess what? When Jesus says, it's finished, it means that we don't have to work. Now the Father in us is supposed to work. He works through us, but it's not us. It's it, it, this I, And he says, watch how I do it. How did Jesus do it? He did it in oneness with the Father. He says, the Father in me does the work. And so this resting is, is a place where we can abide, where we are sitting in Christ and in, in the heavenly realms, and we are experiencing our union. And we are connected to the thoughts of God. We are listening for God. You know, I've heard it, you know, about practicing the presence of God. I mean, Brother Lawrence wrote a book about that. 
Gregory Boyd has kind of a modern version of that book called Present Perfect. And the whole concept of these books is that we are just practicing staying aware of God. And I think that's amazing. It's amazing to stay aware of the presence of God. But I want to take it one step further, and I want to say we are, to call, we, are practice, we are practicing union. It's not just this kind of generic presence of God, like we're becoming aware of the Holy Spirit's presence with us, or Jesus, you know, while we're washing dishes, Jesus washing dishes with us, or hanging out at, you know, the breakfast bar while we're eating, eat, doing dishes, which is fantastic. Thank God that, you know, he probably is hanging out at the breakfast bar. But he's also hanging out in you. He's actually washing dishes with you. He's actually loading the dishwasher with you. He's actually putting away the groceries with you. And so as we practice this union more and more and more, we can connect to those thoughts of God. So it's just an ongoing conversation. And it's amazing to me how many people are not living in this level of communication with God. Uh, Now, granted, I I guess it's a good thing for me because I I guess that's what I'm called to help people do. (laughs) I'm called to help people experience God and experience their union and experience hearing him for themselves and not just read the scriptures about this stuff, but actually live from this place. And it's possible. I mean, I'm training people every single day to live this way. So it's not, um, this is normal Christianity. Uh, And it's funny to me how we, we read all of these scriptures, but yet, you know, how do we practically do this? At least, how do we practically do this? And I just believe, if you are, you know, connected to this ministry at all, that God is doing incredible work, really, of pruning in our lives. And a lot of times we think pruning, oh, that's going to hurt so bad. I don't want to be pruned. But you know what? Let's change our attitude about that because I don't believe that it hurts. I believe that it's a relief. I do not believe that it is him taking something from us that we want. I think he is taking dead weight off of us. I believe he is taking the things that weigh us down and keep us from flourishing and keep us from, from thriving. It is, not, it is not painful. To me, it is, it is, I, it's like, thank you, Jesus, already. Could you, you know? And what, what it is, let me tell you what he's pruning. He's pruning independent thinking. He's pruning ways of operating independent from him. He is pruning illusions that, 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 that are causing you to strive and, and, and work for something that has already been provided for you. He is, he is cutting off the ways of our being in our lives that are exhausting. He is cutting off performance. He is cutting off this illusion of separation. In every area of our lives. He's cutting off religion. He's cutting off performance. He's cutting off, truthfully, the things that that cause us so much torment. And so, with that said... The other piece of his perspective that I really want to convey tonight, it's so powerful and simple. And it's such, this is another just key. And this key really unlocks the manifestation of 
our inheritance in Christ. It really unlocks, really it, it unlocks answered prayer. And it has to do with the fact that God's perspective is that you already have everything that Christ has provided. And what I mean by that is in the same way in the beginning, God saw the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Guess what? God sees your destiny as a place you've already arrived. When he prophesied over Abraham, he was the father of a nation. He wasn't confused about the outcome. He told Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you and I ordained you a prophet of the nation. So when he, when he speaks out a prophetic word over your life or he calls out your destiny or he gives you a vision, let's be clear, even though it's your first time hearing about it, it's not God's first time to say it or to think it or to interact with it. You know, in Psalm 139, another part of Psalm 139, it says that, All your days were written in his book before any of them took shape. And and what that means is that God has written your, there's a a destiny, there's a a, a plan of God for your life that from God's perspective is already done. Let me read it to you in a, a, this, I I wrote this down today in my notes. Let Let me read this the way it says this in here. And let me find it. It says, where's my notes? Got to find them. Okay. I'll just read it in Ephesians 2.10. Let me read it in the Passion Translation. It says, we have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny, and the good works we would do f- to fulfill it. So this, this detailed plan that God has for your life, these good works that God has planned for your life, I mean, this is not like you're some accident stumbling around and God's trying to figure out what to do with you in your life. No, I mean, there is a plan. There is a divine plan. There is a divine destiny for your life. And it really doesn't even matter how far you feel like you're off track from it, how far you feel like you've missed it. I mean, God created the universe in seven days. And so what is, what is too hard for God? Like, what, what, like, it's too late. It's too early. What, you know, it's none of it's too hard for God. It's too hard for you. It, matter of fact, it, 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 it's more than likely impossible for you. Because you are, your destiny, your, what you're called to do is not possible with men. It's, it's impossible with men, but it's possible with God. I mean, even Jesus and all of the glory that we give him, it was still the Father. It was the Holy Spirit doing the work through Jesus. Jesus, it says in Acts 10, 38, was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. He was a man operating in union with God. He, it says in Philippians chapter 2, he set aside his Godhead. He humbled himself. He, he took on the form of a servant, a human being. He, took on the, he, he was a human being, incarnate God. And he humbled himself, even, was, became obedient even to death. And he was highly exalted. I mean, God's, who raised Jesus from the dead, right? I mean, this, this is the holy power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Father working in his life. And so 
too, too many times we, you know, we just think this is, somehow we've just given a natural destiny, something we can do. Okay, it says this in, in, in the Amplified Version of that scripture. It says we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship. He's the one doing the work. We're his workmanship. We're his poetry. We're his story. We're his poem. We're his living letter. Uh, we're his testimony. We're his idea. And it says this, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew that we may do good works which God predestined. Predestined means planned beforehand. It says for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. Now, why am I going to all of these links to talk about this? And I know I feel like I'm kind of going on here because there's multiple points in this. But if we are going to think with God, we're going to have to also recognize that he thinks completely different than we do. He thinks of things backwards. He doesn't, he doesn't start with something at the beginning and then figure it out as he goes along. No, he begins with the end in mind. And he has a vision and then he fulfills it. He begins with the end in mind. And so from his perspective, it's finished. So let me talk about this just really simple because I said this is the key that unlocks answered prayer. This is the key to manifesting really anything in our lives. Because we have not only a default illusion that we're separated from God, but we also have this default illusion that we are in lack. And what I mean by this default illusion, I mean it's kind of the, just the default way we see things until our mind is renewed. We, we by default think we, we live separated from God. We think we're separated from God. And, and, you know, we do things like prayer and worship and Bible study and a whole bunch of Christian things to try to get close to God. And you can't get any closer than inside of him. And then we live with this illusion that we are in lack. So we lack finances. We, la- we lack all of the things that are in us. And it, says, it says my faith becomes effectual as I acknowledge. It says this in Philemon. Uh, it says, my faith becomes effectual as I acknowledge all of the good things that are in me in Christ Jesus. They are in me in Christ Jesus. And so understanding what salva- what we got with salvation, the Greek word salvation is sozo, and it doesn't just mean saved from our sins or forgiven from sins. It means delivered. It means prosperous. It means whole. Now, I get that most of us are not experiencing the fullness of wholeness. We're struggling with all kinds of things. And part of it is that we still operate from, we don't even recognize that we've been made whole. We think we're going to be made whole. And because we don't see the end, we see where we are. And God doesn't talk like that. I mean, he, he just, he calls things that be not as though they were. I mean, he tells Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. He tells Simon, your name is Peter, right? He tells Abram, your name is Abraham, and you're the father of a nation. Now, granted, is there a process in time for those things to actually become materialized or or manifest? Yes. But that time that it takes is not up to God. It's a function of what we believe. It's a function of us getting an agreement with what God has already done. It's a function of thinking like God. It's a function of judging ourselves as we have been judged. 
And when I say judged, I mean judged righteous. We have been judged righteous. We have been judged holy. We have been judged blameless. We have been judged prosperous. We have been judged rich. We have been judged healthy. We have been judged joyful. We have been judged all of the, all of, all of Christ as Jesus is. So are we in this world. We have been judged as Jesus. That's how, that's, that's the way we have been judged. We have been judged as one with him. No separation. Joined to the Lord. One spirit with him. The problem is we don't judge ourselves this way. That we don't judge our circumstances this way. We don't see it as finished. We see it as a work in process. And, and to the degree that we see it that way, we experience it that way. I mean, even in the Old Testament, when the Israelites were promised the promised land, you know, they, they spied out the land. It was good. They came back in Numbers chapter 13. And, and they said, the land is good, but there's giants in there. And we're grasshoppers. Right? Now here God had said, I'm taking you into a nation that, are, that with giants, mightier and stronger than you. Yes, the, the giants being there was not news. Right? But they, they couldn't go in. They couldn't experience the promise of God, because they didn't see it finished. They didn't see this as a fulfilled prophecy. They saw it as an impossibility that was based on them and not God. So if you're going to think with God, most of the correction that God is probably going to bring to you is in this area, number one, that you are separated from him. And number two, that you lack what you think you need. And so practically what it looks like is that we not only begin to think with God, but we need to see with God. Thinking and seeing, and I'd say it this way, thinking and imagining. Thinking, we don't just think in words, we also think in pictures. And so when God thinks, he thinks in visionary thought. And so as he's thinking with you, you know, he's going to show you the future. It says this, you know, that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And it says he will guide us into all truth and he will show us things to come. So the Holy Spirit wants to give you imaginations and visions of the fulfilled promise in your life of the fulfilled destiny in your life, of the answered prayer in your life. And there's so much, so many things around this. I can almost feel the questions. Well, how do you know the will of God, Shalise? How do you even know what's to pray for? How do you know? Well, there's, I, I told, you know, I, it was funny. I was talking with some Emerge students recently about this, and um, this particular person had an unpaid bill to the degree that literally, like, their car was about to be repossessed. And they weren't sure what God's will was in the situation. And I'll tell you, it is really hard to receive something. It is really hard to, you don't even know how to pray if you don't know God's will. And in Matthew 6, Jesus said this way. He said, pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I could go on and on in this particular teaching, and I'm going to wrap it up. I'm just answering because I could feel that question coming from somewhere in the spirit. So I'm going to answer this question without even anybody asking it to me. Um, God's will is heaven on earth. It's always been heaven on earth. 
We know that in Genesis it was heaven on earth. <laughs> it, was, it was Eden, this garden planted in the middle of a wasteland. And, and God blessed Adam and he said, you know, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion. He was, in other words, he was saying, make the earth look like this garden. Make the earth look like heaven. Make it look like paradise, Adam. Right? And so God's will has always been the Lord's prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in heaven, how many of you know, there's no sickness, there's no divorce, there's no depression, there's no strife, there's no striving. Right? And Jesus, when he arrived on the scene, he said, his message was, Repent. Change your mind. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heaven has arrived. Why? Because I'm here. And he said, repent, believe the gospel. The kingdom of heaven, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Well, it's in us. How come? Because Jesus is in us. And where Jesus is, the kingdom is. And so God's will is the kingdom of to cover the earth. It's his for heaven, the kingdom. It says of the increase of his government, there will be no end. It is, it, is, it is God's will for heaven on earth. So guess what? There are no repos in heaven. You know what? There's no trailer parks in heaven. Not that there's anything wrong with that, if that's where you are today, but that's not, that's not God's best for you. You know, last time I checked, the streets are gold. There's no hood Right? There's no drive-by shootings. Right? So God's will for you, it says Jesus came that I might, you know, that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So in the areas of your life where you are lacking, possibly you're lacking because you don't have a vision of a victory in your life. You don't have a vision of you're not in agreement, in other words. You're not in agreement with who God says you are. And so next week, I, I really feel like I'm going to go through some just practical steps of some ways that you can get in agreement with God, practically, just really, really practically. Uh, because some of us have been going around mountains, the same mountains for a really long time. And we, we're just like, what is the problem? What is the problem? What is the problem? Well, the problem is you never received it. And when I say you've never received it, I mean you've never agreed. You've just never agreed that you already have it. That in Christ it belongs to you. And that you already have it. Now granted, in the physical realm, you don't already have it. I get that. I'm not, an, I'm not crazy. I see that in the, in the physical realm, you don't have it. But in the spiritual realm, you've already got it. And the spiritual realm governs the natural realm. It governs the seen realm. And so when what we, what we see invisibly manifests visibly. And I can bet you right now, you're probably already imagining lack. You're probably already imagining yourself without it. You're probably, you might even be imagining a future where it's getting worse. So we'll continue with this. But this is thinking with God, operating with the mind of Christ. And so, Father, I thank you for just what you've shared today. Lord, I thank you that you are pruning uh, our lives. You are you are pruning off these ideas, these these human ideas of of separation from you, of of working for something that we've already got. 
of seeing ourselves and situations and circumstances, Father, in, in, in judging those things apart from you. And so, Lord, we just want to, we want to lay down judgment. We want to, we want to, we want you, we want to come into agreement with your judgment. And that's crazy because I know we've always thought of that as a negative thing. Like, oh, you're going to get judged by God. Well, I'm like, judge me. Because he's going to judge us good. He's going to judge us as righteous. He's going to judge us as being in Christ. He's going to judge us as healed and whole and prosperous. And so we just want to, we just agree with you, Lord. Thank you for the manifestation as we agree with you. Thank you for your thoughts. Thank you for your victory, Jesus. Thank you that it's already won. Thank you that you defeated darkness just by being light. We just exalt you. We exalt what you, we exalt the cross. We exalt your goodness. And we receive it tonight, Lord. And so, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would, I don't know, sift this message down into the hearts, into the souls of the listeners tonight, Lord. I pray that you would make it their own. Not just a, a message they're listening to, Father, but just just cause it to come alive in their hearts. Just I just release light in their hearts, Father. Just revelation light so that they can know the truth and be set free. In Jesus' name, amen.